we, uh, we are still in the history of the Bible series. According to the original plan of the series, I've got two more topics to cover, and those topics are illumination and application, along with interpretation, which we've already uh, covered. These final two topics don't necessarily fall under the category of history of the Bible. They more fall under you know, the present of the Bible. They deal with us, how we read it, how we understand it, how, what do we do with it once we do understand it. And so just as a, a side note, although I'm going to talk about illumination, there is the term illumination is used in the history of the Bible in another way. Starting back in about the 11th century, there are these really cool things called illuminated manuscripts where um, the text of scripture has hand-drawn illustrations that are painted and colored in. Sometimes there's gold and silver leaf. You should Google them. They are really cool, but that's not what we're talking about today. Okay, um, To illuminate means to shed light on. So uh, the kind of illumination we're considering this afternoon is how the Holy Spirit sheds light on Scripture. With interpretation, we learned how we approach Scripture with the goal of grasping the Spirit-intended meaning of the original writer, but no discussion of interpretation is really complete without considering illumination. And so... um, All the way back, like 20 lessons ago, um, the very first week we did this, I gave the detail of all the things we would hit. And with illumination, this is what I said. The Holy Spirit, who inspired the original writer, also aids in leading the reader to the correct understanding and application of the biblical text. So if those lessons on interpretation seemed complicated, I've got really great news for you. You've got a better teacher than me. The Holy Spirit will help you understand the text of Scripture. Um, My favorite uh, illustration to describe this is a personal experience. When I was uh, a sophomore at Illinois Central College, I found that I needed to take a science class. There was any of the science classes would work, but I needed something that qualified as science. And so I perused all the options and I settled on meteorology because meteorology sounded sort of interesting. And also I figured the weatherman on TV is a pro and he's wrong half the time. So when you take a test in meteorology, I'm guessing the grade scale is pretty Uh, easy to help you pass. But the professor for the class that I took was named Fred Lutgens. He was an excellent teacher. But a a few weeks into the class, um, one of the students was, was struggling and kept interrupting him as he lectured and asking questions. And about the fourth or fifth question in one class, the, the, the student apologized. I said, I'm, he said, I'm sorry for all the interruptions, but, you know, I, I just want to ask you questions because you explain it so much better than the textbook. And Professor Luchens rolled his eyes and turned away and half the class started laughing. And one helpful student looked at the guy who kept interrupting and pointed to the textbook and was like, Fred Luchens, he's, he's the guy who wrote the textbook. 
right? So the professor and the author of the textbook were in fact the same person. That's how it is with scripture. The most important step in interpreting the Bible is relying on the Holy Spirit of God to teach us the meaning of the Bible. The Spirit teaches us using the divine textbook that he himself wrote or he himself inspired. And so the necessity of the Holy Spirit for biblical interpretation can be seen in two ways. We're just gonna look at two simple arguments. One is the positive argument for illumination and the other is the negative argument in favor of illumination. So look, if you would, John chapter 14 through 16, and I'm not gonna read the whole upper room discourse, but Jesus promised the Holy Spirit as a means by which his disciples would learn the truth. So John chapter 14, look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now look over at chapter 15. John 15, verse 26. But when the comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me. Look over at chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. By the way, if that term spirit of truth sounds familiar, it's because you heard the Apostle John use it pretty recently. It was in the text this morning. And so the last verse of this morning's text, John assured the readers of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the way that we can differentiate from the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so he said, First uh, John 4, 6, we're of God, he that knows God hears us, he that is not of God hears not us, hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, back in the gospel that he wrote, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus makes these promises in the night before his crucifixion during a message which is usually called the upper room discourse. Um, just put yourself in the disciples' sandals here for a minute. Most of them were fishermen. Matthew had been a, a tax collector, so he was essentially an, an accountant. There's, there's one named si, uh, Simon who had been a, a zealot. He was part of a religious sect that was dedicated to the violent overthrow of Roman authorities. So you have these diverse people in the room, and Jesus, in all of his wisdom, obviously he's gone along the edge of the sea and the, the roadsides and called his disciples, a bunch of uh, ragtag, uneducated nobodies. That's one of the complaints that the Sanhedrin council makes about him later is you're, you're a bunch of ignorant people, literally. They're saying you are uneducated. 
So now they're sitting in this upper room after three years trying to finish up what is essentially a a doctrinal program in theology in only three years, trying to absorb all the, the wisdom and knowledge that Rabbi Jesus has for them. And, and in this chapter, in 14, 15, and 16, time's up, right? Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified. And he is cramming his final lecture into their heads and into their hearts and trying to grasp everything that Jesus is saying has to be like trying to sip water from a fire hose, right? It's just, it's a lot. It's overwhelming for them. But Jesus is the master teacher and he knows his students. There's a sense in which Jesus is revealing all that their mortal minds could handle at the moment. In fact, look at chapter 16, verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you know, he could have told them more. They just couldn't have taken any more than this. And he promises in the course of this, in this overwhelms hearts and minds of all the things he's taught, he promises them the Holy Spirit of God is going to help them in remembering, recalling, and and lead them into all truth. Jesus says the Spirit would remind them what they heard, just like the Spirit reminds us of the scriptures we've read. Right? John, who wrote this, we know later on in his old age, writes 1 John, which we're studying in the mornings. If you remember 1 John 2.20, he says, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. So he takes what Jesus is saying here and he applies this forward to, to other Christians and say, look, the, you have an unction from the Holy Spirit as well and you know things as a result of that. The word unction means anointing. So like, being anointed with oil. We have an unction, an anointing, because Jesus Christ, our Savior, has promised us the Holy Spirit not only to be in us, but to be on us, poured out like oil, right? Streaming down, just permeating every part of our lives, bringing us to an understanding of biblical truth. Now, we need to be clear about something. Illumination is not re-inspiration. When you pick up the Bible, you are reading God's special revelation, but you are not going to receive your own personal special revelation in the process, right? Second Peter 1.20, he says, no scripture is of private interpretation. That is, it, you're not getting a message that other people don't get. It's not going to mean something to you that it doesn't mean to anybody else. And so the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is to bring illumination, to shed light on the original meaning of the text that's already there in the text. After all, the Spirit inspired the text to begin with, and the same Spirit can help us understand when we read it. Further, the purpose of illumination is always going to be to point us to deeper truths about Jesus Christ. Every truth is centered on him. Don't make me start re-preaching this morning, but there, there are some who claim, essentially, that they have the influence of the Holy Spirit, right? They have, a, they have an extra dose. They have an, uh, a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that, that 
manifests itself in the glorifying of the Holy Spirit. You know, so for example, talking in tongues is not a work of the Spirit. It is not a work of illumination. It's, it doesn't lead to a deeper understanding about Christ. I'm talking about speaking in tongues today like people supposedly do, not scripturally. That's just not what the Spirit does. Look again here at chapter 16. John chapter 16, starting at verse 13. Howbeit when he come, the spirit of tr- when he the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Since Jesus himself is the greatest expression of the special revelation of God, the Holy Spirit is going to use scripture to point us to Jesus, to know him, to to love him, to trust him, to obey him. And Jesus is the end of all revelation uh, in the sense that he is the goal of all revelation, right? All, all of this is about Jesus. All of it points us to him. And he's also the end of revelation in the sense that he is the completion of revelation. The writer of Hebrews affirms this when he starts his letter in the first chapter by saying, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. There's many times and many ways that God has spoken, but he says, look, the final time, the final way, Jesus is it. God's spoken through him. And you can hear the message of Jesus through the words of the apostles in the New Testament and the promises of the prophets in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit, as you study, and that's a command, right? Studying, putting in effort is a command. As you study, will give you illumination of the scripture, pointing you to Jesus. That's the positive argument in favor of illumination. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit in order to give light and understanding to his disciples. The negative argument in favor of illumination is that, look, look at 1 Corinthians 4. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2. Negatively, we can also see that understanding Scripture cannot happen without the Holy Spirit. And so here's what the Apostle Paul writes. This is 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 9 through verse 14. Now, I'm actually going to read you from the New King James Version. You will have no problem following along if that's not what you're reading, okay? But listen, 1 Corinthians 2, starting at verse 9. But as it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? 
Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know those, the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness of him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, initially, he is making the, the positive argument for illumination, right? In verse 10, he says, God reveals his plan for glory to us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, we haven't received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. Right? You could take that verse and just slide it right into the text from this morning, and it would fit perfectly. Verse 13, Paul says that he, as an apostle, speaks not with human wisdom, but with what the Holy Spirit teaches. So there's a whole lot of positive argument for illumination here. But Paul also likes to go negative. I mean, the man just likes to argue truth from both directions. And he does that so often. And in this case, look at verse 11. He says, men can only grasp the human spirit, but it's the spirit of God that understands the things of God. Then what, what does that mean for those who don't have the Holy Spirit then? If only the Spirit of God can understand the things of God, he says in verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So without regeneration, without being born again by the Holy Spirit, humans are incapable of receiving the truths of God, Paul says. The word for receive there in that verse is decamai, which means to accept, to receive, to, to take, to welcome. When we're saved, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has entered into a spiritually dead person, bringing them to life, instilling them with faith in Jesus, and indwelling them to give them guidance in all things, taking up residence within us. Without that, the unsaved person who has no indwelling Holy Spirit, they might be able to understand mentally what the Bible is saying, but they do not, Paul says, receive it, right? They reject the message. They, they refuse to accept what it demands. They don't appropriate it to themselves and, and make it a part of their lives and act on it. This is the negative argument, that without the Holy Spirit, people are unable and unwilling to receive the word of God. That word receive, decamai, gets used other places in this very same uh, sense, but often positively. So for example, the Bereans in Acts 17, it says they received the word with great eagerness, or Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 1.6 and says that they had received, or some translations there will translate it, welcomed. They welcomed the message with joy by the Holy Spirit. Proper biblical interpretation is only reliably accomplished by saved people, by regenerated people who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. 
the lost folks of this world, they're spiritually dead, they're blinded by Satan. That is not to say that a lost person is incapable of grasping the words and thoughts and the essential meaning of Scripture. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Paul argues he's incapable of receiving or, or welcoming or acting on them. So let, let me give you the, maybe the most simple example. John eleven thirty five, every child's favorite memory verse. Jesus wept, okay? There is not a high standard uh, of, you know, grammatical comprehension required for that verse. Jesus wept. Anyone can read that and understand what Jesus wept means. And frankly, a lost person could even read the surrounding context and grasp, you know, where the, where the sadness of the situation of Lazarus' death might lead him to weep at the graveside. But a lost man is not going to understand or they will actively reject the overall truth of that whole story, which is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. That is not something that they'll receive and welcome. They can't, they can't embrace that, because only the Holy Spirit brings someone to that point with Scripture. As a result, we have to understand the most important requirement for proper interpretation of God's word is a relationship with God himself through Jesus Christ. Now, there's still a requirement that we are diligent, right? You can't say, well, okay, I'm saved, so I can just read anything and I'll understand it automatically. We still have a, we still have a command to, to study, to be diligent, to, to rightly divide. Remember we talked about that means cut it straight, right? There's, there's work for us to do. And in fact, if we are not obedient to God through his word, if we're leading a dishonorable life, not following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can also expect that our ability to comprehend scripture is going to absolutely erode. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter three. As Paul's just continuing this argument. Look at chapter three, verses one through three. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, and hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Right? And what Paul's saying, look, look there's nothing wrong with being a newly born again Christian. But infants are not able to chew steak, right? They get milk. That's the, the nature of being an infant. In this very same context, in which Paul is saying the natural man can't receive the things of God because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit to discern it, now he's talking in chapter 3 to the saved folks in Corinth who are reading this letter, and he tells them, y'all are still having a hard time with this. 
And the reason that prevents them from growing and understanding the more meaty portions of God's word, truth, is that the Holy Spirit, it's not the Holy Spirit's lacking the ability to teach them. It's not that the Holy Spirit has somehow not indwelled them. We're talking about saved people. It's that they're not fulfilling the responsibility of living obediently to God's word. Paul says in verse three, they're envying, quarreling, there's divisions. He says, essentially, you're so like the world that I can't talk to you on a spiritually mature level because you won't understand it. So let me illustrate it like this. If you're you're teaching a child basic math and you showed them two plus two equals four, they've got to accept that. They've got to grasp that. And if they won't agree that two plus two equals four, that's sort of a deal breaker when it comes to moving on to say algebra, right? That's what Paul's saying here. There's little doubt that the people in Corinth, the saved people at Corinth understood that envy and quarreling and divisions were wrong, but they persisted in those things And so how are they going to grow beyond what they are now if they're not being obedient to what they already know? It's because of this when someone says to me that there's some section of scripture which they don't understand. Sometimes it's because it's a genuinely complicated section of scripture and I got plenty of those myself. But sometimes the problem may well be that they aren't being obedient to those portions of scripture which they already do understand. Look, if the Lord has shown you something to do in your life, some way that you need to repent of sin, some way that you need to do some good, some way that you need to glorify Jesus, and you refuse to do it, you're stuck on two plus two equals four, and you can't expect that the Holy Spirit's gonna advance you to the next grade. In short, I think a good principle to take from this is that when you're obedient to the word, you can expect the Holy Spirit's illumination to help you grasp more of the word to be obedient to. But if you won't obey what's clear in front of you, don't expect the Holy Spirit to pass you on and and take you up to the algebra level, right? Ultimately, what we find is A principle of proper interpretation is the need to be obedient with God through his son, Jesus, a desire to know his word and his will and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding of scripture. So if you are being obedient to the leading of the spirit and you're being diligent in studying the spirit-inspired text, you can fairly expect to receive illumination of that text because the spirit within you is the very author of the text you're reading, right? You've already got a spirit within you that understands it and he'll show it to you.